Hi, I'm Alex Tuggle, a graduate student in the Anthropology Department at The Ohio State University. Thank you for joining us for the third series of A Story of Us, Our Humanity, History, and Department. This podcast is hosted and produced entirely by the graduate students at The Ohio State University's Anthropology Department. Thank you for joining us for the first interview in our third series about death. Today we're talking to Dr. Sam Stout, a skeletal biologist and forensic anthropologist in our department. Welcome, Dr. Stout. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got into anthropology in the first place? Well, I think similar to a lot of people, especially in my generation, uh, we kind of by, get into anthropology accidentally. I was a senior studying marine biology and registering for my last year of classes and needed a course. And I discovered one of the only open courses was this anthropology course called Human Evolution. And I took that course, and uh, my life changed. I, I changed my, I finished my degree, but then went on to graduate school in anthropology. And I might mention that it's, it was the, the course and the material, but also the, the instructor was a very dynamic and, and encouraging individual that, that makes, is so important to every one of us that lead us into our careers. I feel like a lot of anthropologists have the same type of experience where we start out with something different and just kind of end up in anthropology. So could you tell us a little bit about what attracted you to anthropology? What attracted me about to anthropology was, as it's been described, it's the most humanistic of the sciences and the most, sciences of, most scientific of the humanities, which is, opens a broad range of things and interests and questions. What type of anthropologist do you consider yourself to be? I'm a biological anthropologist and I specialize in skeletal biology. Uh, and its applications in forensic anthropology or forensic science. Could you tell us more specifically what do you do in your research as a skeletal biologist? I'm highly, pretty specialized. I, I specialize in microscopic analysis, so we call histology of bone. And I look at the microstructure of bone to understand health, disease, and estimate age and bone fragility and factors such as that. What are some of the things that you focus on in your main research? My overarching interest in my research is understanding something that's ubiquitous in humans, and that, that is the age-associated loss of bone. I'm interested in understanding, it's, as an anthropologist especially, and with our interest in variability, I want to understand the variability among populations for this loss of bone and in also in time depth. I want to know if it was the same in the past. So you're also describing yourself as a forensic anthropologist. Could you explain for our listeners who might not be familiar what exactly is forensic anthropology? Forensic anthropology is the application of anthropological methods and theory, and in my case skeletal biology, uh, to the forensic context, the medical legal context. And so anybody that, no matter whether you're a linguist or a cultural anthropologist or an archaeologist, if you are doing an analysis that relates to a medical legal situation that might go to court, you are a forensic anthropologist. In fact, the Academy of Forensic Sciences now, or the section that we belong to, has been changed from just physical anthropology to anthropology, period. Could you explain to us how your skills as a skeletal biologist would apply to these situations as well? My research plays to that because I've, I've developed some methods based on the microstructure of bone 
that allows me to estimate age of death from a, a fragment of bone using the using the, the a microscopic analysis. Could you tell us about any specific cases where you've used your research on age-related bone loss in a forensic context? Yeah, I, I can. One in particular relates to my my interest in age-associated bone loss. When I was, I was called in to testify about whether uh, the trauma that was suffered by an individual was due to increased bone fragility due to osteoporosis, or was it actually traumatic? And so my analysis was, I used my analysis of the bone microstructure to assess the, essentially the health of the bone, the amount of bone mass, um, and how it's distributed uh, relative to, to health, and was able to demonstrate that in this individual, who was actually a younger individual, could, did not exhibit bone, ex, bone uh, osteopenia or loss of bone that would lead to this excessive fragility that her bone was perfectly healthy and would not, bone fragility was not, would not account for the trauma. What exactly is osteopenia and how is this different from osteoporosis? Osteopenia is just less, it's just a loss of bone and you have le less bone mass and it's something that happens to everybody, all populations apparently. Um, with age, and it's often misused to, to describe anybody with lower bone mass as being osteoporotic, but actually that's not true. Everybody loses bone. It, it only becomes osteoporotic when it leads to increased fragility and the chance of non-traumatic fractures of bone. I know you've done some work with non-modern cases. Is it common for forensic anthropologists to work outside the modern era, and how does this skill set translate to work in the past? Well, it's, it's very similar. It's just it's not in the in medical legal context. So we address the same questions using the same research. I'm usually called in to do very specialized analysis because of my uh, microscopic approach and, and its use to estimate age at death. So I often get called in as a, as a specialist. Uh, I've, I've, I was, for example, I've worked on estimating the age of death for the remains that ended up being Francisco Pizarro. Uh, uh, even involved with Dr. Clyde Snow to help estimate uh, the age of an individual that he suggested was the Sundance Kid. Um, we, we, had a, we had an interesting agreement. He would send me samples and not tell me what it was from. And then after I sent my analysis, he would say, well, do you want to know who it was and or what it was? And, and so then I would get the answer. And I was like, in that case, it was interesting. Well, we think it was Sundance Kid. <laughs> That's fascinating. You were telling the podcast team about how you helped estimate age of death for a Mayan ruler named Honab Pakal. I think our listeners would be really interested in hearing that story because it combines mortuary documents, bioarchaeology, and forensic measures. How did you get involved in that case? Well, as usually happens with me, um, someone contacted me. In this case, it was Dr. Vera Tiesler and Jane Bikestra that were involved in the actual recovery or looking at the remains. And apparently there was some question as to aging of, of the remains when they first examined it, when they opened the sarcophagus. And uh, the, the issue was that the, the standard osteological analysis looking at the gross morphology of such as the things as the pubic bones and so forth uh, produced an estimate of late 40s, early 50s, as I understand it. The problem was the, the records, the epigraphy, the epigraphic epigraphic <laughs> records and suggested said that he was in his 80s so that was a problem 
And so I was sent, I was obtained samples of ribs from uh, the, the suspected Hanapikal and also some ribs from the, that population to compare him to because populations vary in, in the amount of bone loss with age. And uh, through my analysis, was able to demonstrate that he probably was an elderly individual. Uh, most methods, and even the histology, for example, uh, produce an answer, say, 50-plus. So that, that didn't really help much. So what I proceeded to do was use other indicators of the structure of the bone to, to, to see the degree of loss of bone and was able to demonstrate that, that his bone fit the, the picture of someone with senile osteoporosis. And at, for males, senile osteoporosis has an onset near, around the 70s. Years. So it showed that he was a senior individual and not young. So you said that your histological method asymptotes at 50. How would you determine that he was older than that or that he was osteopenic? Well, to do that, I, I collected other measures uh, associated with age and relative to the bone mass that he had and the, the, it's the dis distribution of the bone mass to see if he was osteopenic, which happens with age, and to what, what degree. So for comparison, um, I initially compared him to a modern examples of known osteoporotics, and, that, and he fell within the range for these variables of bone mass. And, and the microstructures themselves that were similar to what we see in diagnosed osteoporotics. However, since he was a Mayan and from some time ago, do those, are, they, are they appropriate? So we therefore collected rib samples from some of his peers to compare him to. And when we compared him to his peers, who had similar measures to our modern population, he was well below them in terms of the bone mass and again indicated that he was osteopenic. So why is it so important to compare him to his population as opposed to comparing him to maybe our modern standards? Well, the issue would be if I just used him, uh, who's to say that that wasn't typical of those, those, that population, that they, they had low bone mass? So by having examples from uh, his the population that he came from, uh, I was able to demonstrate. Not, so not only was he osteopenic, we'll use that term again, not only was he osteopenic by this, looking at standards for modern populations, but he was also osteopenic relative to his peers. That the issue of population variability is, is uh, uh, close to my heart, if you will. Um, I, to look at these different populations, we, we examined uh, uh, an imperial Roman sample uh, and looked at bone mass and bone, actually bone remodeling rates, and found that uh, there was a, a, a different pattern in the loss of bone and not the high incidence of, of um, osteopenia. Because as you may or may not know, a risk factor for osteoporosis is being not only female, but European. And these were Imperial Romans, although they were not from, not Imperial Romans, they were from the uh, Port of Rome. And uh, they demonstrated a different pattern and didn't demonstrate to our, for our analysis that they were had the, the rapid bone loss that we see in our populations, modern populations. Oh. 
it's a modern phenomenon to, that we see in Europeans to have um, that that kind of bone loss. It's 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 not. I mean, my question was: Is it because they were, or does it happen because you're Europeans, or does it happen because of our European culture? Going back to the Hanab Pakal case, do you know if there's any further research that has been done to further assess the age? Yes, actually, it has. Uh, since that, they've they've recently used a new method called transition analysis which uses multiple indicators of age and known distributions of ages to, to make more refined, more refined uh, assessments of age. And that analysis agreed with my findings, so it was confirmed by the transition analysis. Do you think it's important that we continue to reassess our findings in anthropology? I think it's important in all science that we reassess and and uh, confirm and test. Uh, in fact, and we mentioned forensic science. In forensic science, assessment and testing and known error rates and so forth is very important because there are rules for um, evidence that for admissibility in court there's, that uh, require such testing to be done on, you know, testing on independent samples and so forth. So why is the skeleton so important to study? It's important to study because it really is a dynamic tissue. People don't appreciate that. It's, uh, it's a tissue, unlike other tissues, that the, the metabolic events and things that the processes that go on leave behind and embedded in the mineralized tissue morphological features, we call them histomorphological features, that, that belie the process. We can tell that bone is formed or bone is resorbed and where it is and how much. No other tissue that I can think of does that, especially for in the past, where all we have is bones. <laughs> so in anthropology, basically, we study the dead, but the dead teach the living. Yeah, what we want to know is we want to know everything. As anthropologists, we want to know everything about these past populations. The archaeologists look at their material culture, and, and the cultural anthropologists try to interpret those. And as bioarchaeologists and skeletal biologists, we want to understand the actual biology of these populations. And the, these bones, fortunately, record much of that in terms of health, disease, physical activity, trauma, so it's, there, it's very revealing. Bone is just not a pillar of salt. It's a dynamic tissue. So it sounds like hard tissues such as bone and teeth are a good data source that we're continually learning more about and reassessing our findings, just like any other scientific discipline. The Department of, of Anthropology at Ohio State is particularly strong in these areas of uh, skeletal analysis and uniquely so, I think, in terms of that we have skeletal biology, bioarchaeology, osteology, dental anthropology, all in one place. Our time is almost out for today, but I want to end with a question that we ask a lot of our guests. If there's a student who is interested in getting into forensic anthropology, what advice would you give them or what should they know? So, so my advice for people who want to go into forensic anthropology is to get the best, the strongest background you can in the fields of osteology, bioarchaeology, skeletal biology, because you have to be an expert first and then apply it in the forensic context. Forensic, forensic context is also important, though, that you get some experience with uh, the forensic setting, and because it, it's a unique situation dealing with forensic cases. But first, you have to be that have the skills and the training 
to be the best of, of that osteology or skeletal biology or bio, bioarchaeology. So the skills come first and the specialization comes last. Yes. Thank you very much for being with us today, Dr. Stout. We've really enjoyed hearing about your research and uh, its applications in the greater world of forensic anthropology. In the meantime, subscribe to the podcast and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at A Story of Us OSU, or check out our website, anthropology.osu.edu. And leave a review of the show. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find the show. As always, this podcast is produced in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. We hope you join us next time as we continue to explore a story of us, our humanity, history, and department.